1,000 combat tourniquets tourniquet, uh, line hospitals to affiliates from Bakhmut Hospital. They are not there anymore, uh, but in a neighboring area. And these things are going to help save lives. Potentially 1,000 lives saved. It was made possible because everyone who contributed actually made it possible. We're almost done. We're less than $1,000 uh, at essentially finishing this off. I believe this is the call for the final push. If you have the opportunity, please contribute. If you have contributed, please share the message. And uh, let's finish it today. And uh, because and, of you, uh, because it of was you, made possible. it was made possible. So it's a big thank you so for a big everyone. Thank you for donated. everyone. Everyone who contributed. Everyone who contributed. Again, we're almost there. Again, we're almost let's there. Final push. Uh, you can go to maria8.org. It's the second link in the nest, right behind the special military operation thing. And uh, right now we are at 90 plus percent finished. So with this final round, it's going to be done. We're going to make place an order. And these things, combat application tourniquets, will be sent to Ukraine and help people to basically stem the bleeding when there is such need and save their lives. It was made possible because all of you and every single little contribution, every single donation mattered. So again, please donate, please spread the message. Everything matters and makes a difference. Together, we will save some lives. And potentially, it's not just some, but a thousand lives saved. And as I said earlier, please stay put for a special military operation. It is somewhat cryptic messaging but i cannot disclose it right now but it's going to be 100 percent worth it it's going to be tonight and we're going to stream it broadcast it and you will be witnessing something very special and again please donate to maria 8 and let's finish off the, this final push for cat tourniquets we're almost there thank you thank you and thank you, yeah. let's move on because there's something very special coming up. Thank you. No, I cannot go to bed anymore. Um, you go to bed? Your friend. You sleep on the chaise long. What are you talking about? Have you any idea of the weather over here? Anyway, um, Frank. So Aston. you don't sleep. You sit on the balcony and overlook the uh, L'Avenue de Paris. I will not catch the debate today. Uh, Americans have complained that I'm talking about France way too much. So I will not catch the debate. Uh, Frank, that was not baiting, that was not even teasing, that was just the truth. Last time you recharged your phone, uh, people, okay, mes amis américains, you have to understand this. Ben was so dedicated that he wanted to have both his family sleep quietly and still make sure that the space runs. So he went outside with his phone and when his phone ran out of juice, he charged it at a public electric station. Uh, charging station standing in the streets of paris to make sure that water report is online that is dedication that is the real thing Allons-y. um anyway frank is has been waiting uh and i'm sure he has uh, something either brilliant or very perspicuous to ask or to to tell us Yes, um, just a point of order and an open question, which I'm trying to crowdsource a solution to. Uh, Portland, uh, the Torchka 
if I remember correctly, there's a booster stage with a warhead and the booster stage disattaches or ejects the warhead and then it homes in on a terminal velocity, if I recall correctly. The train station bombing where they had written Zadieti on the bomb, you know, that didn't burn. You know, that was also not an, uh, an anti-aircraft interception. Uh, the second question is more specifically about what's going on in Lysiansk, if I'm pronouncing this correctly. I'm sorry, I'm very tired. Um, the O group, which, if I remember correctly, translates to Brevo Tjeznia, is one of 10 professional full-time battle groups that Russia has had since 1996. I hear rumors that there are four outside of Kazakhstan. For whatever reason, with the recent events in Uzbekistan, I kind of sort of get it. Where are these other five professional Russian army groups? I had sincerely wanted to ask the original speaker if he had seen any military vehicles marked with O. So the Tochka, if I remember correctly, the warhead separates from the final booster stage. And I don't think that the wreckage looks like it had been hit by an anti-aircraft weapon. And two, does anybody in Kherson Oblast, have you seen any military vehicles with the O marking? Okay, so I can answer some of those, but not others. Um, so all of the videos showing mid-air interceptions, um, the ejector that comes off the explosion appears to be nearly perfectly spherical. And what that tells me is that these are low-speed interceptions. Those are not Tochka interceptions. Um, I, I strongly suspect that they used the TU-141s to get the attention of the air defenses, and then they put uh, Tochka in um, after after the air defenses were already activated. Um, I've not seen anything that gives me any specific reason to believe that um, any of the Tochkas were actually intercepted by uh, Russian air defenses at all. Um, yeah, no, uh, it's complicated and it's it's easy to misunderstand. But there's like there is the remains of a booster lying in the middle of a field uh, is in one of the photos. So, like, you know, as you correctly say, uh, the warhead separates from the final booster stage and does the remainder of the trajectory on its own. Um, I don't know why they went to that additional level of complexity, but like, okay, fine. You know, um, that's, that's, that's for them to figure out. Um, uh, what was the other question? Uh, location of, or I'm sorry, if anybody in Kherson had seen any, uh, military vehicles with the mocking O as opposed to the V or the Z. No, there's no such uh, marking in that, uh, Southern military district and, uh, the, uh, um, groups which were involved by means of staging of the operation going to the north of Kazakhstan have not been actually in Belarus where the old marking came from. Okay, thank you very much. I'm still trying to put this puzzle together. There's five battle groups that are unaccounted for. No, actually three. There's no, there's no such thing. It's not about. I don't know where you got your listing from, but think we have a pretty comprehensive list if you want to share something please uh, dm it to me and we can have a chat about it finance you've been having your hand up patiently for quite some time i tend to believe this is a sign you want to be even more patient i'm just a patient man 
Resilience is everything. Please, shoot. Oh, I was just uh, very excited to hear on the list of targets was a Russian industrial lubricants plan. I'm probably the only person in the world who gets excited by hearing a Russian industrial lubricants plant gets hit. One of the things that Russia is having issues with in their economy is, in fact, industrial lubricants. It's one of the many bottlenecks they have since they don't have the kind of imports they have from the West anymore that they used to. So while they have many petrol products and all the base things you need to make uh, refined industrial products like industrial lubricants, they don't have as many factories that make those kinds of things. So uh, while it, you know, isn't going to win the war by itself, it is the kind of thing that will really throw a nice wrench into their, uh, into their, into their war machine. And that brings a smile to my face. So I hope it was a big, important one. I really don't have any good way of knowing or, or how they can replace it. But at the very least, it will cause them some serious problems in their industrial war machine. And that makes me happy. If you're happy, Will, happy. And given the fact that they can't have any of the German industrial lubricant companies who normally supply them with anything and everything, uh, support them any further because none of them are willing to work with them, isn't that even better? Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the big strain is that they, they're used to getting a bunch of these kinds of uh, a huge percentage of their you know, refined products and, and parts for their uh, industrial machine and war machine imported, like industrial lubricants. Again, um, one of the big things in World War II was ball bearings. They're the little, uh, you know, circle wheels that go in your uh, wheels. And without ball bearings, you don't have wheels that work, whether they be in your car or on a tank rotor, right? So ball bearing factories were like the thing that both the Allies and Axis were targeting when they tried to target industrial factories. Well, industrial lubricants aren't quite ball bearings, but they're sort of the same idea. Doesn't sound very exciting, but if you don't have them, it's kind of like not having oil in your car. You're going to be dead in the water pretty quick. As I said, it's not like their only thing. It won't break everything down, but everything that you can destroy that's a bottleneck in your industrial machine, especially when they can't get it from their old suppliers, that's always excellent news. Absolutely right. Thank you very much for that, and I commend you for it. Gurney. Yeah, thanks, Axel. Um, Portland, sorry if I didn't um, make sort of a, a plausible narrative um, earlier. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to, uh, um, to talk about the analysis side, but I just thought it was interesting to me to note the quick Russian response um, to Belgorod um, and bringing in front of the cameras uh, the, the usual, um, you know, three women crying, hysterically sobbing, what, what will we do? We're, we're so unsure. We're so terrified. Woe is us. And I say that because I put that into timing with we've seen deep, we've seen deep strikes occur with HIMARS throughout Ukraine, um, and they've been quite effective. So my head was saying a possible plausible explanation for the Russian narrative is, uh, hey, these weapons are, are working. Let's do everything we can to sort of attribute those weapons to attacking us and muddy the waters and, and not valid targets, et cetera, et cetera. And, and perhaps in that, that they've managed to suppress some of their um, some of the damage they've taken to infrastructure. But that was a, a thought that was that was there that they, I didn't speak overtly. So apologies if I, if I can now. Add yeah, I think that that's a factor that makes a lot of sense to me. Um... I've I've been um, looking at this one with a certain amount, not exactly consternation, but there's there's things about this that that don't make a whole lot of sense, and it it kind of annoys me. Um, and factoring in the fact that you know the Russians are are really just monotonously good at. Um, playing the woe is me 
look at the 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 evil Ukraine or the evil whoever is being mean to me today because I'm trying to genocide them. Um, how how unreasonable are they? What terrible people are they? And it's all boring bullshit. And I tend to tune it out because I'm kind of obsessively focused on on what I can see and what I can know. Um, but just because I am uh, deeply resistant to propaganda because of my obsessive focus on facts, uh, I tend to assume that everybody else is too, and that's a dangerous assumption on my part. Yeah, great, great points there. And, and the other thing, I mean, even if it's if it's all bullshit too, right? They're they're propaganda. Uh, it's interesting and, and maybe worth highlighting for me to point out that this is one of the few times uh, thus far that the Russians have acknowledged um, some sort of strike or or attributed to the Ukrainians because their previous card used to be, no, that was an industrial accident. That was a safety hazard. That was incorrect. Uh, and they were sort of forced into their own box of messaging, uh, even though it was all bullshit, but sort of forced into uh, acknowledging, but not acknowledging it. And so my, my only remarking on this is it seems to be a departure from their pattern, even if it's, you know, more bullshit, but it's a, a departure perhaps from past messaging constraints. Um, and that, sort of cues me up to just keep my ears up and and see how they're adapting their narrative structure uh and if they're doing that uh because of the result of a very successful week uh of ukrainian weapons uh on ukrainian territory yeah that makes a lot of sense to me um i'm i'm just going to uh duck out for a moment um i'm trying to look at uh the kursk strike um, because I've just gotten a little bit of information there and I'm trying to corroborate it, and uh, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Well, so long, Portland. Um, Nick, did you have a question? Or was it strictly for Portland? Um, I just noticed I, I'm listening with half an ear, and I, I heard the discussion about, you know, have, you, have we seen vehicles with O in that region? And I'm just reminded that about a week ago, I saw an article going past, and I wish I could remember the outlet, saying that the Z and to a lesser extent V branding of the war are apparently being de-emphasized in Russia. I don't know whether um, that's been discussed. So this, this would be a derail, I think, of the, of, the, of the rather technical discussion that's going on at the moment. But um, did, did that get discussed? If not, I can go and look up. Uh, I can go and see if I can look up the reference because I thought it was quite interesting in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the home messaging that uh, apparently – um, you know, Z and maybe the V and the St. George's ribbon um, may be uh, going out of fashion. Yeah, we haven't seen any sign of this in Russian media, which we're monitoring very closely. And what we have seen is that um, uh, Madame Sakharova is now playing with strawberries, if that is any help. If you want to derail a discussion, uh, just Google Miss Zakharova and her newest strawberry uh, movie, and you'll have some fun. She is definitely the most alcoholic ever press secretary. Zakharova strawberry. Yep, I can send you a link if you want. It'll make you nuts. No, I, okay, I'll find it. I'll find the video. Yep. Ready, hope. Meanwhile, uh, use your brain as join us, and uh, please uh, use our brains. Okay, hi. Uh, I had a question for Portland. These two 141 loitering drones. I'm not sure, I'm not sure Portland is here. Uh, I'm not sure you he can, he can hear you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm back. 
I can answer. Okay, so, sir. So these TU-141 loitering drones, how maneuverable are they? I mean, and uh, I mean, what what is they? I mean, what I know that they can reach really long. They can travel really long distances, because at the beginning of the war in in March, one random drone got lost and hit all the way to Croatia. But I'm wondering how maneuverable are they? Did they were they able to just? That's all that I wanted to ask. Yeah. So um, their wing loading is actually very low. So in theory, they should be highly agile, even though they have delta wings, which generally speaking is not ideal for uh, for maneuverability. But the thing is, is that they're just INS guided drones. So if you want them to maneuver, you've got to program the maneuver before you have them take off. Um, so while they are theoretically highly maneuverable, I don't see a way for that maneuverability to be leveraged uh, in a in a way that is tactically useful. But that means that that if they don't need to follow just one straight path. You can program path that they go around something. Oh yeah, you you do that all of the time. That's that's one of the things that these things are are very attractive for because you can actually. Um, bring these things in from, say, three different directions completely and, and you know, really muddy up in it. Uh, picture. So they can be basically used as cruise missile in a way. Yeah, yeah, they're closer to loitering. Uh, they're, they're closer to suicide drones than cruise missiles, but this is the same basic idea. Okay, thank you. Okay, so just briefly on the subject of Kursk, um, we've got a video showing a parachute consistent with a Fab 500, which is a Russian 500 kilo, that's about 1,100 pound, uh, dumb bomb. Um, uh, you use the parachute for slowing the bomb down so that you can uh, clear the blast area on a low pass. But there's a video from the Kursk region uh, showing one of these parachutes just slowly falling out of the sky. But the interesting thing is, is that there are no thermal signatures in the vicinity of Kursk on firms. So I think a strike was attempted. I can't see that it has done a huge amount of particularly interesting damage. Sorry, did you say it's a Russian bomb? Do the Ukrainians have some of these? Oh yeah, yeah. That this is the bulk of their. Uh, this is the bulk of their um, airdropped munition inventory. Uh, Porto, can you also talk about uh, the fact that uh, the Russians launched a missile, which they then had to chase because it went awry. They had to chase with their own missile defense system. Um, I haven't seen that confirmed as a fact yet, but if you show me what you've got on that one, I can. Um, I can see what I can determine from the videos. I only have a radio. No, seriously, it's only a rumor which came out of the Ukrainian armed forces uh, so far. Rumor because they didn't want to confirm anything, but their view is that uh, the Russians launched a missile. It went awry. Its seeker was, um, shall we say, slightly incompatible with its mission. And they had to shoot it down. Um... I mean, I I haven't seen that. I haven't seen any evidence that convinces me that this is the case 
but that doesn't mean that that evidence doesn't exist just that i haven't seen it because like i'm just an internet rando like i only get the videos that people send me so like if there is a video showing this um or a series of videos that i can interpret together i would love to see that because if that's true that's fucking hilarious and uh i will go and uh believe the uh russian ambassador to geneva with this uh with this information again i will ask again lovely Gunther, you can ask a question and then axel i've got a question for you uh, hi good afternoon everyone uh my question i have two questions one is about what is known about sort of the terrain to the uh west of lishishan uh my understanding it's like a, a valley with a river small river and then another ridge and then the second question is about the bonus round uh which i just learned about the other day uh how and my question is how effective are they they seem like they'd be very cannot answer you in the second one i hope someone will will join and the the first one is i think it's a french round uh and as such it's extremely effective. uh no they they it's the bonus round i think has been used in um um in um okay northern iraq forgotten the location uh recently and uh, to to great um to great effect uh, regarding the terrain uh, Nick, you're it. What about the terrain west of uh, Lysychansk? Yeah, uh, good. To, you described it well, but um, what are you leading at with that? The Ukrainians have, uh, are running a delay. So they're moving out from there. They've moved out their troops into different positions in order to be able to force the Russian troops to move by themselves, therefore stretching their lines, therefore stretching the line towards their munitions depots, in order to see more truck movement to, to then be able to hit those munitions depots, especially those well entrenched, uh, get their other uh, support forces, including tanks, out of the vetments which they've had. So if you get a moving picture, you can hit them harder. That's the whole point. Yeah, I guess my question is, it would make sense perhaps that they get to the other side of that river rather than hug the line uh, so that we might see even more sort of short-term advances that would still be make a lot of sense tactically for the Ukrainians. That was my underlying question. Yes, I, I agree with you. That That is actually the key thing. Thank you, everyone. Always welcome. Axel, uh, do you know someone called Jibek Jolly? Jibek Jolly? Um, not on the top of my head. What about Jibek if it, Tonic? Nope, Jibek Jolly. What about if it's, um, it's a thing called Jibek Jolly? And it's a she. No idea, my um, commerçant, the the economics focus uh, uh, Russian newspaper is saying that the Jebek Jolie, um, uh, um, a ship transporting Ukrainian grain under Russian flag. Oh God, yeah, okay, sorry, yes, the Turkish thing. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, the it's a ship that has been um, that was, uh, you know taking its uh, unlawful um, uh, bounty to the Mediterranean and has been stopped by the um, by the Turkish authorities and apparently this has been confirmed by the um, Ukrainian ambassador in Turkey. So maybe just a fluke or it can be something important. Our friends in Ankara may have uh, found their sanity and maybe a brand new set of balls. 
they found some spare parts for the F-16s, another uh, 24 of the F-16s en route. And uh, they thought it's a good idea that uh, they're now being allowed to use more of their tank ammunition on the Kurds without being in, uh, impaired. Who knows? I don't know. It may just be a ploy. They've been playing both sides against the middle since the beginning of the NATO membership. Oh, they, they are the NATO member of convenience since Erdogan managed to impound 5,000 of his finest military officers, NCOs, and their families. So that's not even a discussion worth. I mean, if you are anywhere near, I mean, let's put it this way. Many, many, many very good uh, officers uh, who were in the NFIUs um, in Europe um, and all across Europe uh, and of Turkish descent at that point in time when this happened um, were called back, actually simply didn't go back to Turkey. And some of them just had to because they were pressured because their families were already being incarcerated in that putsch. It's an absolute abomination. And uh, decapitating his own, the, the, the cadre of uh, the quality of his armed forces was just the start of it. Despicable man that. I had go ahead, go ahead. Negative. It's unrelated. It's walking backwards. Yeah, I don't don't think we have to uh, discuss the, how uh, uh, our friend uh, Mr. Erdogan came up with the idea of projecting um, the danger of a putsch onto Mr. Gulen, who he was so much friends with. Um, well, suddenly there's a farce of hands. Gunther, then Gurney, then Frank. Oh, thank you. Hey. Uh, so my question is about the 155 millimeter shell. So Germany, France, everyone produces a more sort of high-end weapon systems that all have that same shell. And I assume that they all can fire the same like HE frag munitions into like that, that that's shareable. But uh, when it comes to things like the bonus round, or there was a German one that's specialized, uh, are those, uh, I assume that those are more tied into the particular systems and that you need sort of software in order to make those work properly and then the second one about the bonus round it seems like that would be that's like designed for counter battery fire right like that was uh um that's possible the bonus round i think is uh gps guided um and so i do assume that you need something it's not. It's it. It gets above the target, and then it has two submunitions that are, that are infrared heat. Okay. Uh, then I don't know. Uh, I may ask someone in the in the French artillery if you really want to know. Yes, please. Because CJ never played with French artillery. You just need to ask kindly, and we'll surrender some to him immediately. On this <laughs> journey. Yeah. Apologies if I take a, a, a light step backward. I was going to ask Portland what uh, he did to the Geneva ambassador last time. Oh, just light trolling and bullying and like asking questions for which there is no satisfactory diplomatic answers uh, until he blocked me. But like I have about 30 separate alt accounts that I use for spying on different fascist organizations. So that's not really going to stop me. Okay. I. Uh... I'm sorry, once again, I'm extremely tired, but I had mentioned earlier the uh, four battle groups that were allegedly parked outside of Kurgan. This is basically to indirectly antagonize Turkey, which Russia can do nothing against directly without uh, 
enacting the uh, the NATO Mutual Defense Clause. Um, I'm sorry, I completely missed it. Uh, can you repeat this? Okay, sorry. Uh, due to Turkey finally stepping up, the Russian position has been to antagonize the allies that Turkey has in Central Asia. Kazakhstan is one of the uh, the biggest recipients of uh, Turkish aid and largesse. So since Russia cannot antagonize Turkey directly, you know, I've heard rumors that there are four full professional battle groups outside of Kazakhstan to dissuade them from further nationalist sentiment. You may have heard some news about them renaming airports, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're trying to show some independence and make some independent action. But this is precisely what precipitated the uh, invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968, you know, and plus it will be a thorn in Turkey's side. Yeah, I think that the uh, Kazakh army has, since January, taken a slightly different position than before. And Tokai knows what he needs to do. He also knows whom, whom to call by now. Maddie? Yes, exactly. Where's Manny when you need him? No one's going to say Ghostbusters? <laughs> Gunther. What yeah. is it with you people in front of 4th of July? You're all going nuts already without the fireworks. What is it with I, I live in Oakland, California, so it's sort of like, is that a gunshot or is that fireworks? That's just, that's just that time of year. All right, I hear it. Shots fired. Hey, uh, one more thing before I step down. So the other day I wasn't able to listen in or participate, but um, I imagine it was pretty awesome on here when the Russians were forced to bomb their own uh, uh, equipment on Snake Island and were missing. I I just saw that and thought that was like a pretty good good thing from a side. So I assume it was uh, a great experience uh, here too. Portland, let's comment upon the emotional moment. The Russians had for three days straight. Oh man, that that is so confusing. That that whole thing makes so little sense. Um, I like. Okay, so um, let's just say you do a a good and orderly withdrawal, and you've you've kind of reached the conclusion that you can't hold a particular piece of ground or you don't want to anymore but you can't get your heavy equipment off the island. Okay, so one of the last things that you do before you leave is that you blow all of your equipment in place, okay? Um, Everybody gets on the boat, you fuck off, all done. So we have this mess um, of a withdrawal at Snake Island, which they seem to have decided to bring four attack helicopters for, okay? But those attack helicopters were not up threat. They weren't... Um, covering... Oh, hang on. Don't worry, Portland. Uh, let's go to Ben in the meantime, whilst Portland is sorting out which attack helicopters we buried. Ben. All right. <clears throat> can you guys hear me? Still, yes, we can. That's a very Perfect. nice avatar. Perfect. What kind of a dog is it? That looks like a... Uh, it's a Rottweiler. You're German. You should know that. I know the dog. What kind of a Rottweiler <laughs> it is, is my question, because that is a very wide mouth that looks like a North American. Yeah, well, he's got he's got pure German lines, believe it or not. He's a uh, his parents were show dogs. His mother was direct from you know first generation from Germany, and his father was in the states when they were bred. Yeah, it looks like it because they have, when they have these very wide uh, mouths and with these that that's pretty hefty. It's pretty cool. I like it. 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, he, he has a tail. That's European style, so you should be proud. Good dogs, good dogs. Yeah. So, question of uh, comments. Ukraine, Ukraine uh, being invaded by Russia, how do we win? Yes, yes. Don't have the answer yet, but I've been working on it. Um, change, change the topic a little bit, something that's been on my mind. Um, early prior to this phase of the war, I read an article stating that Kharkiv would never be taken. At the time, I had no idea where Kharkiv was. And in the article, which I've searched for up and down, can never find it again. They stated that uh, Kharkiv at one time was very, uh, you know, I'm using air quotes here, Russian friendly. And that's a mainly Russian speaking area. And ever since I read that and got, you know, more knowledgeable about what's going on, I've wondered how the writer of this article knew that Kharkiv would never be taken is, you know, what did I miss? That's very straightforward and simple. Kharkiv has had a very, very solid, independent political culture for as long as the city actually exists. It has a significant commitment by its civil society to the city itself. It was one of the most, uh, shall we say, technologically advanced due to its wonderful university and its engineering college um, and the spirit of the city. It was exceptionally um, tolerant of different opinions. It had a vast amount of uh, critical thinkers. It produced extremely good research and as a consequence it had lot of, lots and lots of people who understood um, chemistry physics mathematics who were very rambunctious uh, as students it has a very good uh, actually now it has had because the laboratory has been bombed bits and smithereens but some of the guys who actually um, did their doctoral thesis friends of mine um, created the basis for um, the IT revolution in the country because they um, they like to do real research and then go immediately uh, typically Ukrainian style into real application. So Kharkiv has this pragmatic but also esoteric and very deep research kind of breathing style in its um, overall culture. At the same time, food's great, the people are funky, um, different cultures. Kharkiv can never be taken because it transcends time and it has civil defense. The people are resilient. They speak Russian predominantly because it's the language which was imprinted upon them, but they also speak Ukrainian and they feel Ukrainian. They feel free. They have benefited from Ukraine being a more open society more than anyone else with the university in Ukraine. And that's why Kharkiv can never be taken. Well, I will say that's an excellent answer and I appreciate your guys' time. I'll step back down. Always welcome. And uh, next time, bring the Rottweiler to bar. <laughs> He's at home. I'm at work, unfortunately. But if he was, I'd have him bark for you. Thanks, Axel. I'd be delighted. Cheers, mate. Um, my app is glitchy, so I cannot see who was speaking. But uh, regarding Kharkiv, uh, really uh, would advise you to read the book by Daria Platinovna uh, called The Donbass Conflict in Ukraine, Elites, Protest and Partition, uh, published in Rutledge, uh, sorry, at, by Rutledge um, in 2021. 
and it makes a comparison between the power structure in the Donbass and that in in uh, uh, Kharkiv uh, before 2014. And the argument is basically that uh, the Kharkiv elites were self-standing and very much independent in a way that uh, the Donbass elites were not. Uh, and that's that's basically what completely uh, immunized them against um, any Russian interference and allowed them to completely expel any attempt by uh, the Russian services to to uh, foment something similar to what was happening to what they they didn't manage to to make happen in Donbass. So it's a it's a very good book um, by Daria Platonovna. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you don't really fall in love with Kharkiv uh, and with the spirit of the city by reading this book, um, well, I'll, I'll give you the your money back. Uh, excellent. Then could you uh, send me a DM with the <clears throat> author and the name of that book, please? I, don't uh, have... I can, but only if you send me a DM first, because I don't know. I don't see you. I don't know who you are. Okay. Ben, I'm Ben also, so I'll do that right now. Thank you. Okay. Um, little thingy to look forward to tomorrow. Uh, a very small um, finance news. I would have hoped for finance to, to join us uh, to talk about it, but he can't at the moment. Uh, so I'll share it with the whole of you uh, directly. Tomorrow, uh, Ross Bank, the Russian, um, the Russian bank, uh, will begin charging 0.5% a month uh, as a fee for any account held in euros or dollars, so 0.5%. Um, that's 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 the equivalent of uh, nearly six percent, a six percent fee on holding um, on holding a foreign uh, denominated account. Um, this is this is very very interesting. I'm not sure to fully understand what's going on. Uh, my and why they would want to do this. Um, maybe uh, Axel will manage to to tell me that, well, to explain this to me, but I would assume that it's a way to force um, dollars back into the system because they don't want it to sleep on bank accounts. Uh, and then the question becomes, why don't they want dollars to sleep on bank accounts? And I don't know. Maybe they don't. They just don't have enough in the country to make the the dollar and euro denominated economy that is apparently uh, um, happening in Russia at the moment. The, the, this sorry, this this economy needs more liquidity, and one way of increasing liquidity is to increase the turnover of money, and. To increase the turnover of money, you just prevent people from. You give them a strong incentive not to keep dollars on their on their bank account. Alternatively, it's yet another way of propping up the ruble. But I, I wouldn't think that they needed that. But yeah, so um, that's something to to look forward for, and um, as well as an explanation by someone who has a, a better understanding of the situation than me, uh, Frank. Please don't ask yeah, a question about Kazakhstan again because uh, our Kazakhstani um, elite troops have not arrived yet. So uh, they won't be able to, to help you, but do go ahead. I believe Alex was first. Georgians to the front. Kafteli. <laughs> Hello, guys. Um, 
I, I was listening to that story about Kharkiv. And, uh, so two examples, you know, Kharkiv, Mariupol, and Donbass. One, like, fought for their freedom and then preserved it, at least until 2022. They may be destroyed, but will be rebuilt. And others, I, I need, I, I think they will need to have appraisal or something against Russia to get their freedom back. Because just look at them. They got, they stripped everything from them. All industries, there, there is nothing left there. Like, they, they don't even have water. Um, and uh, all their prospect is to go uh, conscript, like, since as soon as you are 18, Anybody between 18 and 64 go and, and die for Putin. Putin's crazy war that, like, has he can't win, just kill all his people. So uh, that's that's clearly a choice, especially in the beginning. There were some voices. Oh, why wouldn't Ukraine just surrender? There is no choice. If you surrender, it will be much worse. You will get Donbass. If you fight, you have a chance. That's just a... I think it's a very clear example of uh, when a dilemma like that. They uh, hope that now that kind of free world knows what, what it's going to do. It has a pretty much passed to victory. Um, those questions won't be asked anymore, but uh, like they were. And it wasn't so long ago. Um, now, with regards to charging, uh, look, at, give me one second. Okay, I'll, you, you can order um, Regarding the so Russian banks were planning to charge for dollar-denominated accounts. Uh, I think uh, the excuse they are using is um, it's kind of more expensive to service those accounts because banks need to kind of support them. And uh, you would be surprised they with any transaction in dollars they charge commissions, which sometimes, for example, there is a bank called Tinkoff. It is charging minimum $200 per transaction. So there were like curious situations where people were trying to uh, uh, like send $150 and they owe to the bank 50, you know, because of transactions. You'll have uh, hear some crazy stories. Now, the excuse is it's more di difficult and expensive to service those accounts. The, the reality is uh, because they can, like, uh, who would have dollars uh, these days in Russia? Uh, like, people who still want to, you know, benefit from traveling, traveling abroad and whatnot, these things are being kind of cut back and very quickly. Just these days, they, um, the goalie of a national hockey league team of Russia who was to join NHL, in a few days, was basically arrested and sent to army for his military service. Like, and that's the indication of, uh, it's going to be North Korea pretty soon. You can't leave the country. There will be like, or, or think of uh, Berlin Wall. There will be something very similar to that. Thanks. I wanted to just briefly hypothesize about the nature of the fee for the dollar accounts. It's true the ruble is consistently appreciated against the dollar during the course of the conflict. Russia started the conflict with a fairly high cash reserve. And if there is a bubble, I'm pretty sure they would understand this. The, uh, the economic plan is there and may do everything they could to take a currency that will have a higher value for the long term. I, I don't know. It's just speculation.
it's irrelevant because the currency is not convertible into the, the purchases they want to make. They can't purchase the spare parts. They can't purchase the chips. They can't purchase the things they want. It's an in uh, at the moment. It is a currency without heft and without capacity, and therefore it is not convertible. It's completely irrelevant whether it appreciates or not. And with that, let's go to Nick. Nick, how's Magalu? Nick, did I, did I have my hand up by accident, or are you just being making? No, 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 no I, I, I dinged you because I, you were talking to me before, and I thought it's a good idea to pinch your brain, and because. At the moment, we are dealing with the fact that we are in the run-up to something which will happen in about one, one and a half hours. Um, as you know, the, the, those colonials, those dang colonials, um, are having their little event at the moment. They are all preparing the fireworks and the likes, and we love them to bits and pieces because they've saved Europe and civilization at least twice, if not more, and they continue to do so. But as they do so, there is a little special military operation coming up. And what do you think would really annoy Putin more than anything else? I mean, secondly, uh, you're, you're being rather enigmatic uh, here, actually. I, I rather suspect that Putin isn't, isn't listening on the channel, although who knows? Uh, we have Russian trolls here all the time, trust me. Male, female, android, they are there. I would just uh, I like know, to maybe, put in... Maybe his, maybe his girlfriend can get arrested in Switzerland. I would just like to put in, Axel, you still owe me troll blood. I'm just saying, <laughs> I haven't forgotten, you still owe me troll blood. I shall owe you troll blood. Let me think about... Trust me, in, if you stay on for the next, say, hour or so... There's a high likelihood of amazing streams of troll blood. Because <laughs> we're doing something which will annoy them to bits and pieces. Just we're because you said that, I'm going to stick around. No, seriously. This is actually worthwhile doing because it is the 4th of July. And it is uh, the 4th of July of a nation which has been willing to commit to freedom without actually have, have to do so. That's why the isolationists in America often have the upper hand, because, you know, why would we have to sacrifice something? No, no. Freedom doesn't come for free. Freedom must be defended. It must be argued for. It must be fought for. And often enough, it happened far. Two great quotes from two great Americans, Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. That's Thomas Jefferson. And from Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I still like the, um, the guy who had the pleasure to work on railway line and had to, you know, really heavy duty work was lanky, unassuming, completely, utterly unattractive and annoying to people. Abraham Lincoln, who never gave up in finding the right generals to win a war. Funnily enough, my cat's actually named after uh, W.T. Sherman. So uh, that is a piece of history near and close to my heart. Yeah, this is why um, we had the discussion a little earlier with our artillery crew. 
uh, because it's today, don't forget. We're talking about uh, Pickett's charge and the likes at Gettysburg. If the Union artillery hadn't been as effective, we'd be living in a different world. This is why I am uh, absolutely um, solidly of the opinion that Fort Bragg should be renamed Fort Sherman. Um, actually, Fort Benning, that would be funnier because it's in Georgia. <laughs> you do not, I mean, Fort Bragg is called Fort Bragg for different reasons, and you know this. But then again, I have no issue with shot. Nope. When you just need a whole lot of shit wrecked, and you need a guy that knows how to look after his uh, his soldiers and to extract from them every ounce of courage and resolve of which they are capable, you want Sherman. If you need somebody that does not give a rat fuck what the enemy does out of his uh, direct line of sight, you want Grant. And when you have both of them, I absolutely believe that they are probably the the best command team in military history. The stuff that they managed to pull off uh, and the the lengths to which the lost causes went after the war to slander them both uh, tells you everything you need to know about what brilliant military men they both were. You're forgetting one person, the attackers, the attackers of Sherman. That's Sherikas. He would not have gotten there without him. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sheridan was, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mudfoot. So, you know, um, that all feels like a bit of a sideshow to me because like the, the artillery guys, the cavalry guys, they're just there to make sure that I can win the battle for them. But yeah, you're right. Sheridan, brilliant, brilliant commander. Let's go to our Americans. Uh, Vic, please be patient, and Crystal, please be patient. Let's go to Dry Fly, because I'm quite sure we'll get a 4th of July message. Oh, yeah, that's what we're doing here. Right now I'm picking catnip for the cat and drying them out and uh, smoking a brisket that will be eaten tomorrow. You have to start a big brisket about 14 hours in advance. So it'll be a Texas brisket. Spot. But Dry Fly, you're not in Texas. No, I'm not, but I've been all over the United States, and I know how to do Barbecue. As a kid, I lived in the Deep South, and I did business in Texas for years and years. Okay, so I mean, I know how to do brisket, and I, I actually am better at pulled pork because I lived outside of Memphis, and I had a couple comments. Oh yeah, I had a pulled couple pork in Memphis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was about a hundred miles east, not even a hundred miles east of Memphis, between Memphis and Nashville as a kid. But I was thinking of uh, uh, Portland's thing about Martin Luther King. And when I was there in the 1970s, it was an ugly time. I was there in a school that was uh, integrating for the first time. I would say desegregating, but it never really, or not integrating, it was desegregating and never really integrated at that time. I mean, it was so much tension and hate. 